Hi, welcome to another episode of Coffee with Mirko, the podcast where we talk with coffee professionals and non. And we'll, I'm very glad and happy that you're here. I hope you're well. Hope you're safe. And uh, if you're new, feel free to share this with a friend, as uh, we're trying to grow this uh, little community every time. Um, today we got a special episode. We got uh, Darren from Cup of Excellence, and uh, speaking speaking of the devil. Here we go. Good day, sir. Hey, sorry, I didn't mean to. Too quick. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, how are you, man? Good to see you. Yeah, you too. You too. Uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, just off a, a little bit of a vacation uh with with the family and and uh back at it uh as of yesterday so yeah how about you yeah i'm doing fantastic man i i can't complain just uh you know i it's a, it's a, it's interesting times but i'm grateful for what i have and uh, and we just take a day at a time <laughs> yeah i know that i know that it's been it's been a roller coaster on so many levels and um yeah I, in some ways work has kind of kept me um, and I apologize some back noise that we have a, 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 a neighbor across the street that um, across our That's so good. Um, but yeah, it's it work is actually kind of, I guess, kept me uh, focused in a lot of other areas, uh, uh, just because you, you, you just got to get it done. And uh, it's a motivator and keeps um, kind of keeps my mind off other things. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's quite correct. And and. First and foremost, uh, thank you so much for giving us uh, a precious hour of your time. I really appreciate it. And I'm really uh, glad that we can have a chit chat about coffee and whatnot, what you do. And you got the role bowling. Um, there are, could you kindly tell us more about how you started your coffee journey? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I, you know, I, we're based here in Portland, Oregon, um, where, where uh, the Alliance of Coffee Excellence is. And, and it's actually where I grew up. And I, um, uh, Eugene, Oregon is just a, you know, a couple hours south of Portland. And um, right out of high school, I started as a barista uh, working for a small specialty coffee uh, retailer roaster called Coffee Corner. And um, uh, owners of that company really mentored me into the career. Um, and uh, I kind of kept, I kept going in and out of, you know, my college studies. I was still kind of working in coffee and pretty much working for, for Coffee Corner here in Eugene and um, had an opportunity uh, to move to Boulder, Colorado um, in the late 80s and uh, continue my college education and worked for um, a company called Allegro Coffee, which is still around today. Um, they were much smaller and, and more boutique focused back in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, and now they're a much larger company owned by Amazon and Whole Foods. And, um, but a lot of my career was with them and in training. I did a lot of training for uh, bar training, barista training, obviously, um, training about origin and um, and spent the better part of about 22 years with them um, in different kind of um, times, I, you know, kind of on sabbatical. And, and um, I, I worked for Stumptown as their head coffee buyer around 2014 to 2016 and um, uh, maybe 2012, 2014, um, but worked for Stumptown out here and then um, ended up going back to Allegro. Um, but really since about 2000, 
three, I was really focused on on uh, being a buyer and and doing procurement. And but around two thousand three or four, I started getting involved with Cup of Excellence as a judge, and really kind of fell in love with the program. And then uh, here in two thousand seventeen, was offered the job to be the director uh, for Cup of Excellence and for eight. And uh, just you know, real honor to, to work for a nonprofit, and and so I've jumped around in my career, little stints with um, with uh, Toro Facion, which is was a Seattle company, and and um, um, but you know, most of my experience has been with Allegro and, and with Stumptown. So yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's been a, it's been quite of a journey so far, and there's probably plenty more to come. And. Uh, um, it's it's an honor talking to someone that has seen so many faces at coffee and worked for amazing companies and also been able to um, you know get to see really the ins and outs the beautiful and ugly parts of coffee of course and uh, and in terms of being a buyer um, for some context could you kind of uh, describe what what does that entitle like what, what does that look like um, in this day and age uh, of coffee scene well you, you know it, it it's progressed in some ways it's progressed quite a lot uh where you know if we talk about like uh direct trade as an example that this idea of of having you know direct pricing and relationships um was somewhat unheard of you know if you go back 15 years ago and 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 yet i still think that you know it it, it how do you define what's direct you know if it if it's more about um, saying you have a relationship than actually proving you have a relationship. I, I, I think we we have not moved the needle that much. Um, and I think everyone has this kind of stereotypical idea that, you know, that this adventurous person goes off to these far lands and, and you know, comes back with these these gems and, you know, beautiful copies. And, and that's probably the romantic view of it. And in some cases, people are really, you know, doing that. Um, but the more systemic part of actually, you know, finding a real model that actually encourages margin, uh, margin delivery to producers and to exporters and, and, and to roasters as well. And, and that's been a little bit more, I, I think, uh, hard to define and articulate. And so I, you know, I, I think in my, in my arc or my history, um, I always felt like I, I didn't like go into it not knowing really anything, <laughs> you know, like, yes, you've gained experience, but you're, you're never going to be a coffee farmer. You're never going to really know exactly what, what um, it goes into, into this, but you can try to learn and glean as much as you can in that, in that uh, relationship, in that communication. And, and in that way, I think buying moved from, you know, sitting behind a desk uh, to, to jumping on a plane. And, and, you know, some people would contest that, you know, that, maybe that's not the best way to really um, be, you know, be a coffee buyer or, or be part of the coffee sector. Um, but if I had never traveled to any of these origins over the years, I, I, there's no way I would know some of the things I've learned and some of the hardships that I've seen and witnessed that um, are contrary to what maybe what you see on Instagram or websites. And, and it's hard to tell the story of poverty, you know, and, and coffee is completely interconnected with, with um, poverty, you know, and, and, and other agricultural products too. And I think it's important to not forget that that's part of um, this difficult story that, you know, it's, it's not 
it's not all about, you know, perfect, awesome copies and everybody's doing great because it's not really true, you know? And I mean, not to bring that story down to that level, but it's important to kind of recognize that, um, 100%. you know, involved in coffee purchasing can't deny that there, there are a lot of issues and problems in the coffee sector. So, and that's, and that's, half the reason of, of of creating this little space uh, and podcast which will be recorded to allow that conversation to allow to um, to make sure that people don't give coffee for granted and even if one person out of this can say hey well maybe i should appreciate my cup of coffee and i recently interviewed smaya um, the, the beautiful lady from rwanda and uh she was saying how, you know, every time you sip a cup of coffee, it's not coffee, it's, it's people in the cup. Um, you know, and it's so true. Coffee wouldn't be possible without people, you know, like any product. Okay, but coffee in particular, because today we're going to more focus on origin and farm because I think it deserves the space. But even roasters and baristas and, and the people, like it, it's such a people gathering experience, not even a beverage. Mm. Um, how important is though to give visibility and recognition to the humans at origin? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, like so many other, you know, kind of um, historically important products and, and industries, uh, coffee has so many, you know, we always talked about a uh, former company worked with about how many hands have kind of touched coffee along the way. And, and, you know, that's, that's a super important, thing to, to remember and it, it differentiates itself from so many other things and and you know coffee coffee's been revolutionary it's it's acted as a, a way to bring people together to talk about dissent and um and you know practice you know really revolution in, in many ways so it it's had a it's had a fabled history um unlike anything other than maybe tea or you know uh, um cacao other, other things and but you know, even more so. So I, I, I think the the one thing about telling that oops, oh there, <laughs> one thing about uh, telling that story is um, that that we tell it in a way where we're not appropriating, you know, the identity or or the the the, the person and and their their um their their inner story, their their life, and and it's really delicate in a way to to uh, not appropriate and try to. Um, you know, put it into a slogan or a marketing campaign. And I, I think there, there, there are companies that do a very good job and, and certainly organizations that do a very good job of, of trying to, um, you know, cut through some of the BS that, you know, is out there. And, and so, um, you know, personalizing without kind of not giving proper, you know, um, credit where, where it's due. And, and, and yeah, I, you know, I think, in working with Cup of Excellence, the thing you really realize is that none of none of what we do would not even be remotely possible without farmers. I mean, it's kind of obvious, but but you know, reminding people that all the time that it's not the finished thing that's in your cup; it's it's you know everything that led up to that in a way. So, and it's interesting how the economics and the more business kind of side of coffee it's so interconnected to the reality at origin. We did a little live farm tour with Mikael in Indonesia, and he was saying how, well, in that case, in that farm, the pickers were earning 80 cents uh, AUD, so 
oh, actually, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was AUD uh, per kilo. Um, and he was saying how uh, that's actually well paid in comparison to other farms. And that starts to kind of, you know, you kind of start to put dots together uh, because if people don't look for it, it's even hard to comprehend. It's already hard to comprehend, like you're saying, poverty and hardship if you're not in it. But once you start assimilating a bit of information, it's important to keep that information a space. And and this is part of what the values of your organization and Cap of Excellence stand for too. I think it's important to give that um, info out. Um, as long as, like you were mentioning, you know, um, not in a cheeky way, uh, yeah. with meaning, uh, meaningful, with consent, that's always important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, I think um, there, there are some individuals I've been talking to over the years about trying to work directly with producers to, to give them more leverage, not so much in the marketplace, but like in their own story, like how they tell their story and, and how they can do it without it being through the lens of a coffee company or an importer or an exporter. And how do you do that? Like, how do you, how do you have that outreach? And, and whether it's like through a social media channel or, or other avenues, but like kind of embedding it at origin instead of it being kind of authored by those that are around or, you know, surround origin, but aren't actually there. And, and, um, you know, the tools are getting better and being able to do that and, and, um, and, and kind of, you know, have it really come directly from, um, from the voice of the person that wants to tell that story instead of it being kind of, you know, um, delivered to us in a way that's, you know, more packaged. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it I, I, you know, obviously when you look at the, the global, you know, coffee sector in terms of farming, you have so many, you know, different, uh, small, large, medium, um, those that have a lot of history, those that are brand new, you know, I just was having some discussions about, you know, um, origins like the Philippines and, and, and talking to people in Taiwan and learning a lot about like, wow, there, there's a lot of uh, um, coffee origins that I don't even really know what's happening, but they're trying to kind of create their own identity and, and, and the people behind that at, at, at that farm level. So, but yeah. Yeah. And, and just for some context, because, think it's it's it deserves its space um, between your alliance as well as cap of excellence what sorts of values and ethics and idea you know pillars are behind it yeah sorry i'm trying to are you right? <laughs> we're right near the train line so um um well you know the 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 first i think you know kind of value is identification so being able to create a very rigid structure um, so that we can identify individual producers through the quality lens, through the, the, the actual competition and the cupping, but also that level of inclusion. When we do a cup of excellence in a country, we, we fairly much demand that there be a lot of uh, different partners involved to make it truly a national program. So it's not a regional program, it's not a private program, um, but it's actually a really, you know, kind of fully inclusive program and and um you know we you know if i think it, as a small nonprofit in the u.s if we were able to have um you know deeper pockets we would do more farm extension farmer training to to uh, make sure that even the smallest producer has the potential to be a part of the program and not just um those that you know we have 
you know, we have farms that win and win over and over and have really created a lot of, um, you know, uh, from um, some, some farmers that really didn't have much hope and were in the process of selling their farm to basically all, you know, overnight having a whole new market. Um, so that, that would be like an example of, you know, if we're at our best, when we're at our best, we're, we're creating that identification and that discovery mechanism so that we create that market bridge so that these producers that maybe didn't have access gain access in a very unilateral way where they're not relying on an importer or a trade association they're, they're really directly connecting to the to the buyers themselves and then we let them take it from there so i think i think the system has developed where if if we can identify great quality and identify the people behind it everything will work you know everything kind of comes together and for 20 years we've been able to do that and and there are years when we've had more countries and you know sometimes fewer countries and um but we've never changed the 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 overall commitment and structure um you know we you know if, if we could globalize it to make it larger and sell larger amounts of coffee i think we we could but if if we were to do that we may not be able to ensure that all those coffees are of the highest quality so it's kind of a there's a kind of a, a, a attention uh, put into the program that we want to help as many producers as we can, but we also have to kind of stay to our mission, which is, you know, quality identification, but also when we, and we've had examples of this in Brazil in the early days where winners would win. And uh, we had a, a farmer that was an organic farmer in a country that didn't support a lot of organic production. And that farmer became successful by winning COE and then went out and started training other farmers. So he created a school for other producers to learn how to do biodynamic farming, how to do organic farming. And that's ideally what we'd like to see is that kind of self, you know, it kind of propels itself based on these farmers and their own ingenuity and their own ideas uh, to kind of, um, you know, evolve their, their, uh, their, their offerings, their program, their, 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 their focus in general. So, so, I mean, I, I think, I hope that answers that, but yeah. Uh, absolutely. It paints, it paints the uh, main idea of the importance of it. And I think it's also important that, uh, which goes to the next question, how can we sort of direct more and more consumers towards understanding, hey, it's a cap of excellence coffee i know it's not just about cup of excellence because there's a lot of other coffees that are just as valuable but i think you know uh, some people really value the uh australia made in australia or american made in america um, it would be greater because for us in coffee we see coe winner and we're like oh must be good and we just grab it but how would what's the plan is the plan also to kind of bridge the gap with a wider audience to understand the work behind it and the importance of it to have even more of a ripple effect sure yeah yeah i i mean it, you know there's a finite amount of coffee and and that probably is why there's this level of you know kind of understood scarcity and and therefore you know it's prized because it's you know there's that rarefication part of it um but it doesn't mean that we couldn't um, expand into areas where we actually um, support. And we do, you know, we have our Cup of Excellence program, but then we also have our national winners, which are coffees that did not score um, as high as COE and the 87 plus in our cupping form. And those this year, especially during the, the pandemic, 
um, we, we ended up having more of those coffees uh, in most of the countries, not all, but we had uh, larger than last year. And, but we had more farmers. This year we had more farmers enter than in almost all the competitions than, than, um, than in previous years. So that's mm -hmm. all logic. Um, Cause we thought if anything, farmers are gonna have a harder time getting their coffee to market during, during maybe travel restrictions or regional restrictions, but we actually had more so therefore, we had more coffees that, you know, made the 85 to 87 mark. And so far, those auctions have been very successful. And, you know, they start at a $3.50 to $4 level. And we're seeing some of them going for, you know, $10, $11. So if we were to expand um, the ability to have more national winners, then that could be a, a much bigger uh, base for people to, to have access, maybe at a slightly lower price point but certainly well-vetted coffees. So I think this is something we're trying to um, expand as best we can um, so that people that, you know, want to get, uh, get into the process um, can, can have an access. And, and that's a branded, you know, uh, auction that we try to push. And, and for the first couple of years, it was kind of going slow. It seemed to be confusing because it's like, well, is this COE or not? We're like, well, it went through the process. It just didn't make the final round, um, but it's been cupped you know, many, many, many times by the time it's gotten to the national jury and even to the international jury. So, so I think that's one way that we could model it, but trying to explain to people that, you know, not so much that scoring coffee is the, the ultimate validation of what, what coffee is in quality, but talking more about how it tastes, the, the, whether, you know, because of its variety or its processing, I think those are ways to get consumers to actually uh, understand more um, if you drink a great wine, you might not know that it was a Robert Parker 90 wine, but you know that it's got all these flavor components and it was made this way and it was processed this way. I think that's um, that's an educational link that I think consumers are probably more ready for now. Um, I remember working in the industry, you know, maybe 15 years ago and we had flavor notes, you know, hazelnut, uh, 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 bergamot, uh, vanilla. And a customer at Whole Foods came up to me and said, so that's what you put in the coffee? Like, it's flavored with bergamot and vanilla? I'm like, no, no, that's, that's actually what we think it tastes like. So, that's, you know, we've, that's where things were at, you know, where, and I still think there are elements of people thinking that, you know, these coffees have these, like, flavor additives in there. So, you know, we, but I still think it's important to discuss that. So, yeah. And, and just touching base briefly on what you said, that happened to me several times when I was still behind the bar, you know, whether it was cherries or <laughs> berries. Um, and it's interesting on how it was, oh, I don't want any syrup in my coffee. <laughs> that was that sort of the conversation. Um, I think I think that's where industry kind of um, need to kind of understand more. And that's maybe what um, other industries have done a good job, right? So. I think it's important that we kind of go a little bit back. And uh, I was having this several conversations on this podcast in terms of simplifying tasting notes, where you could literally start as a, 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 a tier one where it just goes super basic, you know, like cocoa notes. And then it's, I understand that there's a process and there's the will of flavor, but then you can start going into, okay, ch chocolate and hazelnut. And then you can go, Nutella cake on the tier three uh, for people who really have that palate to taste the Nutella <laughs> cake in the cup. 
Um, and I think, I think it's important. Um, and sort of going back to a point that you made earlier, um, just to give some context, because everybody wants to go to Origin, and that's why we did a live tour with Mikhail, but not many people get that chance to go. What is, in your opinion, the biggest challenge that you see at Origins almost every time that you go there? Uh, I, I, I think that one of the biggest things is, uh, you know, what's kind of been called the lean months, the, the months when, you know, coffee has already been shipped and money's been paid and, and then producers are waiting for the next harvest and they don't have the financial uh, wherewithal to, to gap between the next, you know, if it's if it's a primary cash crop, um, th this is the problem. And, and you may not see it when you're there at certain times of the year, but many of these families experience, you know, having to drop a meal or, you know, they, they can't make their regular, um, you know, trips to the grocery store or they're dependent upon their own ability to grow their own food. I, I think that's that's gotta be one of the biggest issues in a market like we're in right now where the, the market's still, you know, in a four to five year low um, and, and, and probably access to credit, like access to credit. That's not, um, at 20% interest. And, and, and so basically finance to, to seems to be one of the biggest things. And, and then what's been maybe more recently happening is, is climate that producers are telling, you know, people that they work with that they're having really incredibly strange weather patterns and things are just changing so dramatically that they're trying to adjust to it. And, um, you know, that, 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 that seems to be a pervasive issue. So, you know, finance and climate uh, to me would be at, at the top of it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of those would be the most dominant. So. Uh, surely there's a great amount of challenges there. Um, because we're talking about countries that are not as lucky as uh, other countries. And, um, I'm glad that you touched base on two on those two points because I think I think that in many countries we sort of live in a bubble. Um, things are great. We got everything: running water, electricity, internet, um, food. We can actually pick varieties of apples, and they're all shined and waxed. Um, but and then you know, and then you hear some climate change, or you hear financial crisis in other countries, but you're in this bubble, like a bubble wrap, uh, uh, bubble wrap boy, like Seinfeld, um, <laughs> the bubble boy. Um, I think it's important to kind of expose this because I think a lot of times these things are real, but, and they're already happening. Instead of waiting for the magical formula, someone to come up with a solution, there's a lot of control in our hands as consumers. Yeah. So there's so many little actions that are defined by what we do um, because it's still a market that goes by demand and supply, supply, demand. So I think it's important individual understand the responsibility and accountability on our own choices when it comes to packaging, when it comes to plastic, when it comes to what resources were needed to grow these 100 grams of food, whether it's rice, soya, beef. I don't want to get too much into, into food, but or why am I buying tomatoes in winter 
that are imported from Spain because there's some over there and it had to be shipped. Um, I think it's important. Like, and in your opinion, what's the sort of a simple but big change that someone could make uh, today with a small action when it comes to the impact of their actions uh, at origin? Oh, yeah. I, well, you know, I mean, because of the nature of coffee, as you know, one example, it's so in, impossible for us to kind of, you know, what we say, buy local or support local, you know, producers and, and, you know, or support local companies. So, you know, that, that it's, it's a conundrum. It's really difficult to kind of figure out how to, how to get around that. But, you know, the luxury that, you know, the bubble that we're in, we are, we, you know, we're very fortunate that we have, you know, access to so many things, whereas many countries, you know, really don't. And, you know, I was just having a conversation about Haiti with, with, with a colleague here about, you know, well, let's create a program. Let's, let's work there. And it's like, you realize how, little resources there for them to actually even develop the industry or, or to get the industry back. And so it takes huge levels of, of commitment, uh, institutional commitment, government commitment um, to, to create, let's say, a, an internal market in Guatemala, you know, where an internal market of consumption, um, that would be a great act is if, if, if people got behind their own producers in their own country and 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 have the ability to support those producers and and you know we certainly see that in you know countries like thailand and um certainly brazil and where you know there there there's a pride in in their own product a pride in their own their own farming um you know i think i'm i'm sure that's you know many many countries like in the us where you know we we do have that concept of like trying to support local farmers and and buy produce from you know people in oregon and and do that as much as you can, even if it means adjusting your diet to support that, um, because then you're eliminating or you're reducing that carbon, uh, you know, footprint in a way. So, you know, I, I think that maybe that's a, a, a more of a token, um, you know, ability to, to make change. But it's certainly, you know, I mean, think about the the amount of travel that's not been happening right now. Um, it's It's been, I guess, maybe good for the planet, but it's been very difficult for people that are losing their jobs and their, their income. So we're so globally connected now. I don't know how we, well, we're all learning how to not be globally connected. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, I can't go anywhere in the world because we've mismanaged our, our uh, situation here so badly that, you know, we're, we're not on the good list right now. And, and it's a real learning lesson um, for, for everyone in the world. And, um, you know, our, we're committed to try to work together to, uh, get over this situation, but we can't do it alone. You can't do it in a vacuum. You have to do it, you know, in, in, you know, cooperation with other people and other countries and other, um, other governments, you know, we're, we're learning, well, you know, we're learning a lot. <laughs> That's for sure. Yes. And, and of course, like you mentioned, you know, there's, uh, we're so interconnected. It's not even, <laughs> it's almost funny, but it's not funny. You know, like you said, yeah, sure. There's that planes, but then, it has an impact, I don't know, countries near Australia, like Indonesia, where they thrive on tourism. Um, and I was reading a recent article that were saying how actually this has also been bad for the planet based on the fact that there's a whole chain of actions that happen behind the scenes, behind the obvious. Um, obviously, perfection doesn't exist, and I think that it does come down to those little actions that don't seem much, but in the long run, they're going to make a difference. 
alongside with technology and governments or you know the bigger guys or inventions and i think it's important and another buzzword is conscious you know like buying mindfully and in a conscious way understanding not just just grab it pay and transaction is like okay well this was a mandarin uh, from what country uh, how did it taste but also there was how many hands like you said for this mandarin to land in my hands yeah um don't put it in a plastic bag just carry your own bag all these small actions uh, darren thank you it's been super zoomed in and i'm really glad that we touched base on these topics um we hit the halfway mark and i usually have a little break uh, out of the box question ritual um, um if you could who would you like to have dinner with and it doesn't have to be coffee it could be anyone in the world oh boy um a living or or just an any living or uh oh boy anyone that, yeah I, oh that's such a good question I, I mean i i feel like it I mean, like the first thing that popped into my mind was like Nelson Mandela or something, you know, like that, like just knowing the charisma in the, in the history, um, he would be pretty high on my list. I, yeah, I mean, there, there are people in like politics and then music and then, you know, food. <laughs> so I've got like, but that would be pretty amazing. <laughs> that would be pretty amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll take that. And uh, yeah, this is the first, yeah, you're the first one mentioning him. And I think is a, uh, uh, yeah, Nelson Mandela would have been uh, yeah, great to have dinner with. Yeah, that, that, that makes you think for sure. And I'm sure then the rest, you know, tomorrow uh, you're going to think of someone else too because it's not in your head. <laughs> great question. Yeah. Um, going, going back to farming origin, um, you also kind of get to see uh, the people. How How impressive and obvious is their connection with the land the people and the land um th their their roots within where they are yeah yeah i you know i I've, I've had um i can remember uh one specific trip that i had to ethiopia uh to visit um Haile Gebre, who is um the owner of mordekov and we had a group of people and we camped out at his farm for i think a couple nights because it was so far, like very, very south Shakiso, and and um, just I remember um, um, him kind of touring us around the farm, and then we met a, a number of kids that were, you know, kind of basically there, there's a lot of gold in that area, and these kids had been out um, just digging in the river, and and they came up and they showed us these little bits of of gold, and 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 I just these were very kids that were out there kind of opportunists and they're on his land and he's like yep i i have no problem with you know i i'm part of this community i'm i'm part of this whole experience and i could i could probably shut this farm down and start mining gold in a big way but i want to farm coffee and that just said a lot about you know his connection to the community and the people and that he you know easily could have done a different thing but he chose to be in agriculture and that was his passion still is his passion and his family and I just thought how interlinked everybody was in that, that very small community. And, and, you know, that was like a little like moment of like, wow, you know, you, you really do, you're really honoring the land and, and your connectivity to it. And, you know, that the next day we, we all got to plant 
uh, trees in his nursery with our names on it. And, you know, I mean, that, that goes on in a lot of countries. It's kind of like a nice hosting thing to do. But, um, but you know, I, I mean, I think, I mean, the, these folks that are in these individual areas and, and these, these rural areas, you know, this is all that they, you know, live and breed. And, and you know, it's almost like a, like, well, and, yeah, I had an experience in, in Papua New Guinea where we had a community uh, that took us to this really sacred area. And they were so excited to show us this, this area. It was kind of like a shrine in uh, the Garoka area. And, you know, it was really like they're like letting us in on this secret. Like this is a spiritual place for us and we're letting you into our, our community. And, and it was completely not like a formal, you know, like event. We just, just did it. We had to wade through the river for a while and went up to this area where there's this cave and, and they were just like, you know, this is, this is part of our life and we're sharing it with you. And, and that, like, I'll never forget that. Like just the, the, you know, the connectivity, connectivity to nature itself and, um, I think we like that bubble, we kind of forget that we're, you know, that life isn't just about getting on a train and being in a city and the conveniences that we have, but it's about these other, you know, kind of more deeper parts of, of the earth itself, you know, so, but yeah, those are a couple amazing experiences, fortunate, so. Connectivity, and thank you for sharing those stories there. Um, absolutely <laughs> amazing, and, uh, you know, strike to me because I'm reading a book called um, Talking to Strangers um, and it's quite psychological with some stories but they were talking it was talking about a study that made in terms of um, facial expressions on how it's different from different countries where they took a whole bunch of pictures and they went to some tribal areas they went to some kids uh, in western countries and other tribal areas and um, the results of the same pictures where the facial expression was saying sadness or happiness or anger, the results were like all over the place. And it was quite amazing. So how do you, uh, how difficult it is, but also beautiful. And, uh, you know, there's, a, there's obviously um, a certain reward when you go and talk to all these strangers from different countries and a whole different type of, cultures, obviously there's a little bit of a gap. How beautiful it's still to have that connectivity despite the being two strangers from two different bubbles, let's call them. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, that, that's, that's really interesting because, you know, I used to work in tea and I remember my first trips to like Sri Lanka and India and, and certain like very, you know, just like basic gestures and, and certain kinds of, um, uh, ways of expressing things without saying things and 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 that was like such a like a window into the the fact that a lot of things that get said aren't verbal <laughs> that they're, they're done in different ways and and um so i i think it, as long as you're really open and curious to different ways of uh communication whether it's verbal or non uh, the more open and curious you are the more i think you can invite that where you're not setting the like well this is this is how we are going to communicate this is how we're going to actually establish um the the boundaries of communication that kind of thing and um i i you know i'm reading this book called culture map and it's it's really about how you how you navigate different uh contexts and some high context some low context and and um how um you know like a culture like japan how things are kind of very understated in certain ways 
and in and maybe in the U.S. it's not a, not at all like that. It's completely different. And so that's been like just a recent book I've been reading that I really have found interesting because I've been working, you know, with people in other countries for most of my career. And and um, you know, obviously laughter helps everything. Like if if, if you can just have that lightness, um, it opens up a lot of doors. And and um, and you know that the fact that um, you might be encountering people that have that have never experienced a lot of, you know, contact with people from other regions or countries or anything like that. And, and trying to uh, diffuse that, that maybe, um, um, that maybe not, not tension, but that kind of unknown approach to how people can communicate. And, you know, I, I've, I've, uh, I've definitely had a couple of experiences where, you know, you're working with someone that doesn't speak English and you don't speak you know, their language and you're trying to communicate and you're doing everything you can in your, your power, but it just keeps going the wrong direction. And, and, uh, but it usually turns out to be kind of funny. It's never like gotten, gotten bad, but, um, um, I think I've just been maybe super lucky that I've not insulted anybody's culture. And, and I feel like it, for me, maybe in my experience, it's really, I, I'm never insulted by anybody's um, comments, even if it's really critical, it's like, okay, I, I accept that. And let me, let me, you know, kind of understand where that's coming from instead of judging it. Maybe that that's a, a way of kind of um, being able to be more open-minded or, or at least accepting, you know, in a way. So. Yeah. yeah and I think, I think it, it really, I really want to answer that question because um, when you start naming Papua New Guinea and Ethiopia and, you know, uh, South American countries. It's interesting. It's very interesting uh, because that's part of your job to be able to interact with these, well, no longer strangers after you meet them and create relationships uh, to improve uh, most most people's lives, uh, right. which is which is great, and that's and that's ultimately what what really matters. Um, in terms of uh, coffee, um, what what would you like to see in the future of it? Um, Ideally, let's go macro and dream. I yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I think if the if the you know a fully realized uh, coffee market where there where well one where you know uh, people are being paid appropriately for for what they what they craft um, on all levels, like even on on the commercial level as well, and and how undervalued coffee has been and continues to be. I, I, I if that could if that could change, that would be like my number one is to is to really honor, you know, what the true value of, of what this product means and, and the, the work that goes into it. Um, I, I, I think that would be kind of the pervasive, you know, thought that if, if that could be changed, that would be great. But but also um, and we're seeing this through the cup of excellence is just the, the level of innovation. Um, when we look at uh, processing and, and so kind of challenging uh, concepts of what, what a coffee should, how it should be processed, how it should taste, uh, what, are, what are the, what are the um, you know, what are, what are, where could we go where we haven't been in, in terms of um, uh, quality itself? Um, to me, that's an exciting proposition because, um, you know, I, I, I mean, even with, you know, some of the coffees that have been coming out that are anaerobic and, and what we've been seeing a huge increase of that, and that's all part of innovation. So, and as we've seen that happen, we've seen higher prices for those coffees. So, you know, obviously innovation leads to, 
you know, a, a, a higher threshold. So, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, those would probably be pretty, pretty big on my, my wish list. On your wish list. And uh, uh, passionate about coffee, good to see you again, saying thanks, guys, for, I mean, to you guys, all your hard work and looking after the pickers, because like we mentioned earlier, without them, we wouldn't have coffee. Um, and I think that sums up uh, that gratitude that we have for, for, for organizations like Up of Excellence and others um, to pull that at the forefront. Um, that's, that's sort of where the, the ideal world is. Um, I think that I was interacting uh, on Monday with Andre Ayerman. He was sort of saying how we kind of sort of demonize the commercial coffee world, you know, often, you know, the, the big chains and all of that. But he was saying how, in fact, actually, probably the solution would be actually to, instead of going against them, kind of trying to, hey, come here, um, yeah. buy better quality coffee yourself at your volume and pay a little bit more, more inclusiveness and kind of get all together rather than specialty us versus them. Uh, and I think uh, it made me think, it made me really think. Um, that's why I was grateful for these insights. What do you think in terms of how important it is for the big guys to buy at a higher price with their kind of volume? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's incredibly important that, that, um, that without that, um, that level of, of participation in, in the market um, and, and not, uh, not accepting the fact that that is the, the, the largest segment of what's actually produced and consumed. And, um, you know, the, the making, making the argument that they don't have to make a huge paradigm shift, but if they made just a little shift in, in uh, differential pricing, um, uh, uh, financial support in other ways that are, that's built into the economics of purchasing coffee, not, not just uh, doing projects and not water projects and, and many big companies do incredibly large uh, global projects that are very important, and you can't underestimate that. But when it comes down to the economics of it, um, you know, you, you, it's great to have clean water and to have you know a, a, a good environmental uh, project that supports communities. But but if you don't have financial support um, directly to producers, um, then then that that's a problem. And and I, I do think specialty. I won't say that it's it's gone out to alienate anyone. It's just striven to be, you know, kind of to create its own destiny. And I think that larger commercial entities are struggling with how they can create their future when the margins are so tight. I mean, I don't think people realize how tight the margins are for commercial importers, large scale importers, and those companies that are competing against everybody else. And so I, I think, you know, that we talk about the race to the bottom and that's unfortunately kind of where we're at. And and if companies, you know, couldn't create, you know, somewhat of an alliance around, you know, the future of coffee depends upon these companies supporting the commercial activities of millions of producers. So we all are kind of in it together. And I think that's the thing that would, you know, bring specialty and commercial to understand that we all play a part and how can we work together better? Um, you know, the, the and, and that this is going on with, with some companies that are looking into their supply chain and, and they're grading their supply chain and, and, and doing things like that. So, um, you know, I, I think that's, you know, a, a big a big part of trying to um, uh, kind of reach across 
you know, um, the, the, the category aisle, I guess, in terms of coffee. But, but um, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, recently we've had some larger companies that have been part of our program and, and it might be more promotional in, in, in um, you know, in, in how we really look at it. But overall, it's better to have them interested in looking at what we're doing. And we, we're very open to, to that. You know, I, I feel like we're primarily comprised of lots of small companies, but we have some, you know, larger companies that are starting to kind of, um, you know, uh, reach out and look, look uh, to what we're doing. So, yeah, I, I think it's a very valid point. Um, and, you know, we don't want to segment to the point where we don't have some type of, you know, exchange or, or inner exchange. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm glad, that, yeah, I really was curious to hear your uh, thoughts on it because uh, it really made me rethink to rewire my, my you know, my, my own thinking around it. And uh, it does make sense. It does make sense. Yeah. Um, so th thanks for sharing that. And look, I'm reaching the last 10 minutes. So firstly, um, thank you again. I'm really grateful that you were able to come and join us and share your insights and knowledge. Uh, I think it, it's been incredibly valuable. Um, but Instagram does cut it very fine and gives you only 30 seconds notice. So I always like to ask the last questions uh, 10 minutes in. Okay. Um, what's next on your planet or cup of excellent planet? And what sort of projects or anything that you kind of want to highlight that they are going to be soon to come? Sure, sure. Uh, well, you know, we just completed all our Central America uh, competitions and, and had some really great, great auctions. And, and we're really fortunate for that. And obviously, Ethiopia, you know, that that was a first year, really big, big project for us. And um, we're already planning for next year uh, for 2021. And, and, um, and we've been in development with uh, Indonesia uh, to, to we did a pilot and we're hoping to do a full CUE program. Um, in early 2021. And I'm very excited about Indonesia. I think that will be, um, and we did a small pilot in Sumatra and just found some amazing copies uh, in that in that whole um, project that, um, you know, uh, led us to, to certainly know that between Java and Sulawesi and Flores and Sumatra, there's just some, ex ex, you know, exceptional copies there. So we're excited about that. Um, and then we were going to be doing Ecuador this fall um, but we had, again, because of uh, COVID-19, we had to um, reschedule for 2021, but we will get Ecuador off the ground next year. And we're, we're, we're doing some, um, what's uh, something we've been working on is these private um, collection auctions. And we, we were doing one with Kima um, out of, um, based out of the UK, but uh, focuses entirely on Yemen. And we did, a, we did a private auction for them last year, and that was really exciting, and there's some amazing copies there. And we'll be doing our, our um, uh, uh, second auction coming up in September. Um, I believe it's the 9th of September, um, definitely on our website. But, um, but that came at, we just finished the actual competition. We did it virtually, and we had 38 judges around the world that, that cut the copies. And, and so the Kima auction will be happening um, and we're, we're looking at some other private um, auctions that are, you know, kind of more part of the Alliance for Coffee Excellence and not Cup of Excellence programs. And we're, we're looking at some other countries that to, to potentially expand into. And, um, and I would like to see uh, Yemen as a country that we would move towards a Cup of Excellence down the road, even if we don't have the ability to do the competition in Yemen. 
um, we could we could do it potentially in Oman or in Kuwait and other countries. So we're looking into trying to uh, maybe roadmap towards uh, Yemen in the future. Um, and we're, we have we have um, even just like this week we have a seminar coming up on a webinar on Friday um, with Kima. Um, we've done some uh, DNA uh, testing with um, um, Professor Montagnon that's with RD2 out of uh, France and. We've been testing all of the, the copies that were entered into Yemen to, to look at their DNA genetics. So we'll, that'll be on, I think it's 7 a.m. on Friday at U.S. time, Portland time, um, and 3 p.m. London time. We'll be doing um, that, that, um, that live webinar, and it's open to anyone that wants to register. And again, that's on our Instagram link or on, on, our, um, on our website if, if those are interested in learning about the, the genetic um, kind of history that you know has not really been done um in any uh comprehensive way and it's just through uh, the, the 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 there were about 500 samples that were entered into the original competition so there's going to be some interesting you know land race um discoveries hopefully or or you know understanding better what the cultivars are of yemen and how historically connected they are to ethiopia obviously so so those are kind of some things like in the near future and then you know hopefully in the, in the, in the big picture that we, we uh, develop some new countries. And, um, you know, I, I, I would like, I'd love to see us back in Bolivia, but, you know, I don't see that happening anytime soon, but those are some of the things that are kind of on the, the back burner and front burner. <laughs> so. A fair bee on the plate sounds by the sound of it. And uh, very exciting, especially the DNA uh, work. Is, uh, I never, I never heard of myself. So I think it'd be quite interesting to, to witness that. Um, and, and yeah, thank you. And I think just closing off on Sumatra, I just saw the news today. I think there is a bit of a, I'm pretty sure it was some volcano related um, catastrophe because I saw a big column. I just saw a picture and then I had to come jump online. Uh, but um, hopefully things things are okay. Um, I'll look into it later on. But uh, yeah, there's, there's some amazing coffee. There's this um, viewer of mine, she's super young and she sent me some coffee from uh, the Sumatra, we something. Well, there was called Gayo, and uh, yeah, there's amazing coffee in Indonesia. And I think, I think we're still young. I think um, if we think about coffee 10, 15 years ago, and you know, you can probably uh, really know even more than me. We kind of came a long way, and I think being young, there's so many origins, like you said, and so many flavors to discover. And um, I know that often we like to see the you know there's, there's so much negativity on the outlook, but I think there's positivity too, and we just have to kind of, like you say, we're all in this together. Um, commercial specialty farmers, producers, buyers, coffee drinkers, yeah, we all know. So I really appreciate your chat. And if there's anything else that you've left on the table and you want to say it, uh, please. Otherwise, it was a, an absolute pleasure and honor, and perhaps we could do this again uh, in the near future. Yeah, no, no, I would love to do that. And, and you know, it, it, we've been we've been reconnecting with people, um, you know, all around the world and just kind of getting a beat on like, how are things going? You know, not so much all, always through the context of COVID, but kind of a little bit. And, and um, it, it's been very interesting to connect with friends in China and Korea. And, and, and then they're, they're all very worried about us. And we're like, well, you know, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in a fairly I'm, you know, we're all doing our, our best here and, and, and taking appropriate measures, but, you know, those kinds of check-ins are, are, are great. So I'd, I'd be, um, you know, happy to do that. And, and I just th thank you for the opportunity to, to 
communicate and, and, and chat with your, you know, of the folks that are following you. And then our, you know, as we connected to um, our community too. And, and um, yeah, I, I, I think, um, you know, I, I don't have much on closure other than just that it seems like uh, uh, we've, we've become connected uh, in ways that we probably never thought we would um, mainly through, you know, the social channels, but um, I've met so many new people that I may not have met just going to, you know, the normal trade show or whatever. So, you know, we're, we're, I think we are at, at heart, very creative uh, in times of uh, crisis and, and uh, you know, that word crisis in coffees uh, uh, has been used for a while. And I think, we're, you know, maybe we're adapting better than other, you know, uh, other industries that are out there, but, but I think uh, a lot of it's just been having that kind of uh, ability to communicate and, and share stories. So any, anytime, definitely. Thank you. I was, a real treat and a real pleasure. Thank you, Darren. I really appreciate that. You have an amazing uh, night. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's nighttime over there. So, yeah, it, evening. Light out. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate it. And uh, let's talk soon. And maybe we'll do something different next time. I don't know. We'll, we'll come up with, some, with, with an idea. I, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we will. Okay. Thanks, buddy. All right. Take care. Take Bye. care. Stay safe. Ciao. Yeah, you too. There you have it, guys. Uh, a super interesting, insightful, knowledgeable uh, conversation uh, we had with uh, uh, such an amazing uh, coffee coffee individual uh, like Darren. And uh, I really hope that you'll be able to follow this through it. If you haven't, uh, just I'm going to repost this soon as a podcast and uh, as well as on uh, IGTV. I think it's really important to sort of process, digest um, what, what he said and what he shared. It's just, um, coffee is not just about the usual stuff. It's not just a beverage. It's so much more. It's about people and the connections and the connectivity on the issues that we don't even know about because we live in, in a different reality compared to uh, coffee-producing countries uh, where there, I would say, where he, you know, had to experience um, witness uh, poverty and hardship um, and really makes you kind of reframe the gratitude towards uh, what we think is just an average um, but if you've enjoyed it please feel free to uh, share this on your instagram on your social handles and uh, yeah if you're new uh, this is a podcast uh, always uh, post this on our spotify and other podcast platforms so just tune in. We got one more guest on Friday and then we'll be back next week. So until then, stay safe and take care.